Well, today we're going to continue our study on end times. When shall these things be? You know, before, before God brought judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah, he said, shall I, shall I talk to my friend Abraham? Shall I let him know what's going to happen? And he said, yeah, I'm going to talk to Abraham. So God is going to give us a little bit of warning. And this is what this is about. We're studying his word so that when we see these things, when we see these things happen, we will know that it's right nigh at the door, right? Amen. And so we will be ready. We won't be taken uh, surprised. The Bible says that uh, if the rich man had known when the thief was going to come, he would not have left his house. He would be prepared. So we want to be prepared for when some of these things happen. Amen. Amen. So we're going to be looking in a lot more detail to, uh, to this morning at what we have been talking about. Matthew 24 uh, is the chapter where Jesus gives a private briefing to his disciples. And they start asking him questions privately. And he starts giving them answers and clues. And this was our focus scripture. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately saying, Tell us, when shall these things be? And what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? Amen. So they say forewarned is forearmed. So we want to be ready. And there are some things that the Bible does give us some clues. And we're going to look a little bit more detailed in some amazing clues today. And just to go over some of the terms again, the tribulation, of course, is this period of seven years that the Bible speaks about, also known as the time of Jacob's trouble. During this period of time, the world is going to be focused on Israel. Israel is going to be the focal point of this seven-year period for the most part, where Satan will be wanting to, to embody someone and take control of this planet. Amen? Now, that seven-year period is broken up into two halves, the first half and the second half. And the second half is called the Great Tribulation. The Great Tribulation, the last three and a half years. Now, the midpoint uh, of that three and a half years is uh, just my personal belief. You don't have to believe that. Uh, I will teach on that coming up. Is when I believe the rapture will be. Some people believe the rapture will be at the beginning. Some people believe it's in the middle. Some people's at the end. This this is just my personal belief, and I, I will be teaching on that uh, on an upcoming Tuesday night. But the main thing is to be ready. To be ready. And then finally, at the end of the seven-year period, Jesus is going to finally come back to earth to set up his kingdom. And that's really the second coming. And that will be at the end of the seven-year period. And then after that, we go into a thousand-year period of peace on earth. That's when it's the, the, the prophecies. That's when the prophecies will be fulfilled that it says that there shall be no more war and they shall turn their, their weapons into plowshares. And there shall be peace on earth, and the lion will lay down with the lamb. That's what is going to be coming. The earth will finally have her Sabbath, her, her period of rest, a thousand years of peace. And Satan will be locked up. Amen. He'll be locked up. Amen. So we're going to look at how God has modeled this. We're going to do a deep dive today, so you're going to have, I'm going to go slow so that I don't say a lot of stuff too fast. So God has modeled this in all of the ceremonies that he gave to the 
Jews in the Old Testament, because they didn't have a written Bible, he gave them these ceremonies so that as they did the ceremonies, it would bring back to memory what was going to happen. And even some of the times they did not fully understand it, it was there in the ceremony. So we're going to look at some of those ceremonies. The Jews celebrate seven major feasts. Um, And in the Hebrew, the word is translated uh, feast, but it's really appointment. It's appointed unto men once to die. We have an appointment. You know that? There's an appointment that everybody has that they cannot miss. It's appointed unto men once to die and then the judgment. Well, these seven feasts were appointments because they were commanded most of the time to have an appointment with God. They were going to have a meeting with God. And, of course, the first one we just celebrated. Anyone can name that one? Passover. Passover. And it was the, the fulfillment of it was instead of a little lamb, it was Jesus that was crucified for us, the Lamb of God. That John the Baptist, when he saw him, behold, the Lamb of God which taketh away the sins of the earth, the sins of the world. And so that was celebrated on the 14th day of the Jewish month of Nisan, which we was about last week when we celebrated it. And the next appointment was the very next day, because if you remember, they were to kill the lamb when they were in Egypt, and then on the next day they were to leave. They were to leave. They were to get out of town, leave Dodge. And that was called the, the, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, because Moses told him, God told him that I, w- I want to make sure you don't have any leaven in your house. You're to make these, these rolls, these, these, this bread without leaven, symbolizing God's purity, his innocence that was going to be sacrificed. So that was the feast of unleavened bread. And of course, Jesus was that bread from heaven. He told him, if you could understand it, I am that bread. I am the bread of life. That's one of the seven things Jesus said, I am the bread of life. So We see that in the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which was the very next day, it commemorates the fact that Jesus was the bread. He is the one that gives us eternal life. And in fact, we will be celebrating communion. We weren't able to do it at Easter because we had so many things going on, but we plan to do it next week. Next week, we have the wine. We have everything ready to to do that. So we're going to celebrate his death and resurrection. And then on the third day was the Feast of First Fruits which represents a a rapture event. Amen? Jesus, the Bible says, Paul says, he is become our first fruits. The Jews, every time they had a harvest, they were to take the first fruits of that harvest and bring to the temple and present it to the priest as an offering to God for blessing them. Isn't that awesome? When you give God your best, he will give you his best. See, When you don't give him your best, then you're going to end up like Cain. He didn't, he didn't, it didn't say he got, he he brought the best. He just brought what he thought he had to the minimum. But when you give God the best, amen, God will give you back the best. And so Jesus became in symbolic, the first fruits of men to be raptured. He was the first fruits of them that were dead, never to die again. Now, in the Bible, there are about 11 recorded resurrections. But all of them, except one, died. But when Jesus rose, that was it. Never to be, die again. Amen. So the first fruits was the third feast. And then the one that we're coming up to next, which is for us, Pentecost, 
Amen, which will be in about uh, six weeks or less time. That was about 50 days later, Pentecost. And that was the feast on which they would celebrate the wheat harvest. Passover was the barley harvest, and Pentecost was the wheat harvest, when they would bring in the wheat. And God told them to take the two sheaves of wheat and make two loaves. But this time, it was okay to just make it with the leaven, with the yeast in it. Because it symbolizes now we come to Christ as we are. We can't clean ourselves up enough. The law proved that. You couldn't clean yourself up enough. But now we come to Christ and his blood cleanses us from all unrighteousness. And then seven months into the year, you would have the one that we're waiting for. The Feast of Trumpets. Feast of Trumpets. Yom Teruah, they call it. The day of the blowing of the trumpets. Wouldn't that be something? See, I I don't have any more earthly ambitions. I'm too old now. I know I'm not going to be... I know I'm not going to be a millionaire. <laughs> my, only, my only ambition now is to make it. And Jesus is not going to leave it up to some angel. The Bible says the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout and with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God. The Feast of Trumpets was celebrated in Israel on the first day of what used to be the old New Year before God changed it. So that was the month of Tishri. And it was a blowing throughout all of Israel. They would blow all of these trumpets all day long. And it symbolized the beginning of the, the old New Year before God changed it. And it's, it's, the, it's the feast of which there's the least written in the Bible because it's a secret day. It's a hidden day. And then 10 days later is the most sacred feast that the Jews celebrate, which is the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. And that was the day in which they would take the the blood for the first time in the whole year all the way in. Before that, the animal was killed outside, and the blood was sprinkled on the brazen altar. But once a year, the blood was taken by the high priest only, all the way in, past the first curtain, past the second curtain, before the Ark of the Covenant, what I taught last time about the mercy seat, and he would sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat. And the atonement ceremony symbolizes the final taking care of what was needed for sin. Right now, Jesus is appearing, the Bible says, he has entered into the heavenly tabernacle to appear on our behalf. I told you we have the best lawyer that there is. He has never, ever lost a case. (laughs) He has never lost a case. Amen. Even if we were guilty, if we come to him with true hearts of repentance, amen, we can obtain forgiveness. And then the final feast of the year is more of a celebration. It was to commemorate the fact that they lived in tents, that they tabernacled in tents. If you really understood what this last feast is about. You understand that Paul says, if our earthly tent of this tabernacle should pass away, God has got in the heavens. This feast commemorates us getting and and dwelling permanently with God because it says that the Lord shall dwell with men. His tabernacle is going to be with men. That's amazing. Not with angels, but with men. Amen. 
So Jesus becomes our dwelling place. All of the seven feasts all point to Jesus. The first one, Jesus crucified, the Lamb of God. Secondly, Jesus, the, the bread from heaven. Thirdly, Jesus, the first fruits from them that died. Then Jesus becomes our comforter on the day of Pentecost. He said, I am with you, but I am going to be in you. Behold, if I go away, it can't come. And so he sent the comforter, which is himself. He says, no, I'm with you, but lo, I shall be in you. And then, of course, trumpets, which is when we will be caught up to meet him in the air. And then atonement, where Jesus offers his own blood as our great high priest. And then Jesus becomes our dwelling place. Isn't that awesome how God laid it out? And all these couple thousand years that the Jews were celebrating this, they didn't fully understand who it pointed to. They were looking for this Messiah to fulfill, but they couldn't see it when he came. The Bible says blindness in part has happened to the Jews so that we, the Gentiles, in Hebrew it's called Goy, the Gentile nations, we have an opportunity to become grafted in. Paul says in Romans that we become grafted in. Isn't that awesome? Amen. We become heirs and joint heirs. So this, this occurred, the, Jesus started to literally fulfill all these ceremonies for, for a couple uh, hundreds of years. Every year they would go through these seven ceremonies until it says in Matthew, now, now it says when the fullness of time was come. When the full, God has a perfect timing. Did you know that? We may want it today, but he has a perfect timing. And if we will wait upon the Lord, he shall renew our strength. He, God has a perfect timing to fulfill his will and his prophecy. Sometimes it seems uh, you know, hard to wait. And that's probably one of the hardest things for some people. If you're impatient like me, waiting is a hard thing to do. But those that wait upon the Lord, he shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as an eagle. So for hundreds of years, from the time of Moses instituting the law, about 1,800 years before Christ, they kept on doing all these ceremonies every year, looking for the fulfillment. And then in Matthew it says, now when the fullness of time was come, Amen. God came in the form of the baby Jesus. And the angels declared to the, to, the, to the shepherds, peace on earth, goodwill towards men. Because now the ceremonies were going to be literally fulfilled in the person of Jesus. So right now, we have gone through the first four ceremonies. They have been literally fulfilled. We're now waiting for the last three trumpets, atonement, tabernacles. And just because the first four were literally fulfilled, we know that the last three are also going to be fulfilled. So the, the start of this was, as I've said, about 2,000 years ago. Because we know that's when Jesus died. We went through that last week and we showed how you can calculate and know exactly how long ago he died. The, the, there's several other proofs because we know from historical record that the temple was destroyed in A.D. 70, right? And you go back 40 years and you'll find it's A.D. 31. Amen. So we know what happened and we know what is going to happen. And so we're going to do a deep dive on this now. In the Bible, this time is called, the seven years is called the time of Jacob's trouble because this is going to be focused on Israel. You understand Satan's plot. He has tried to stop the revelation of the sons of God. In Genesis 3.15, the first prophecy came forward when God said to, 
to, to Eve, uh, to Satan that the seed of the woman would crush your head. And as soon, as soon as Satan found that out, he said, okay, so all I have to do is kill the seed of the woman. And that has been his plot throughout the ages, to kill the seed of the woman. And you know, in Romans it's revealed that the seed of the woman is Jesus Christ, and we also are the seed of the woman through Jesus Christ. So his plot will be to kill the seed of the woman. At first he didn't know exactly who that would be, so he just decided, you know what, I've got a brilliant plan. I'll just get God to do the work for me. I'll make the earth so terrible, such a mess, that God will have to send a flood and destroy everyone. But then there's that one word, but Noah found grace. The Bible said that all flesh had corrupted his way upon the earth. And it repented. That's the first time it says God was sorry for something. He was sorry that he had created mankind because of the the evil and the mess that was upon the earth. And it's interesting that in this briefing in Matthew and Luke, Jesus referred back to the time before his coming as as in the days of Noah. We're we're right there. You see the evil and the mess. and the, the. I think there was another mass shooting this morning, right? There was another mass shooting. It's going to get worse and worse. Not better and better. No. There was another mass shooting this morning. I think four or five people were killed. Jeremiah 37. This is the prophecy. Alas, for that day is great so that none is like it. It is even the time of Jacob's trouble. But he shall be saved out of it. You understand that we're in the church age right now. But when the church age is finished, God is going to be turning back to the Jews. Paul in Romans makes that clear that we are the, we are the spliced in olive. But he says, don't, don't look down on the Jews because God had made an unconditional promise that there would be a remnant. In Ezekiel, I believe it says, or Zechariah, it says that they shall see him whom they have pierced. It's coming a day when the Jews realize who it was that what they were looking for. And it's when they recognize who Jesus is and call upon him that they will be delivered. So let's look at this timeline again of this seven-year period. See, Daniel was given in Daniel chapter uh, 9 the whole layout of God's plan of salvation in, in a sum of 490 years. Seventy times seven. Where did that number, where do you hear that number in the New Testament again? Yes, it's how many times. See, Peter thought, you know, you forgive someone twice, three times, three times. I mean, come on now, three times. They're doing it on purpose. (laughs) If you forgive someone three times and they do it again, that's purpose, that's planning. And so Peter thought, you know, I'm doing pretty good pretty good. I've forgiven my brother three times, and then Jesus just blew away his mind. He says 70 times 7. So that number, 490, is a special number. I call it the time of God's mercy. And there's been many times in my life, I'm so glad it was a big number. Because I know I was on like 481. (laughs) 482, and I'm thinking, Lord, I don't want to cross that 490. I still need forgiveness. But we see that that number 490 is significant because it's a multiple of seven. 
you, you can see the pattern in scripture of this multiple of seven, right? Seven days. Then we have on the seventh day, the day of rest. Seven years. And on the seventh year, there was a day of rest. 49 years, seven times 70, the 50th year was the year of Jubilee, a year of rest. And then this one, which is the multiple, is kind of hidden. But then it becomes 70 times 70. Sorry, 7 times 70 is 490 years. It was 490 years of God forgiving Israel because they kept breaking the Sabbath law of the seventh year. For 490 years, they did not obey the rule that said you shouldn't plant in the seventh year. So they total up 70 years where the land had been plowed and planted when they should not have. And so God took them out of Israel for that one reason, punished them, and Nebuchadnezzar came, came and took them. And Jeremiah the prophet wrote in his prophecy that the time that they would be in captivity would be 70 years. Because God was getting back the 70 years of rest that they had not obeyed him. You see, God is a God of justice. He's a God of mercy. But he can't go against his word. So this number we see repeated, and I call it the time of God's mercy because he let them get away with this for 490 years. And in this period that was given to Daniel, here we come again in Daniel 9, you'll see, God tells him 70, 70 times 7 sets of years are determined upon thy people Israel. And God lays out different breakpoints. He tells him what's going to happen up until the time the Messiah gets crucified. And then that left a period of seven years to complete the 490 years. And that's what we're waiting for. So that 490 years was 483 years. Messiah was cut off. And now there's been a gap. The church age, we call that. But the Bible tells us that when the time of the Gentiles will be complete, that's when things are going to start getting really interesting. So let's look at that on the timeline again. So we see this period of, of seven years is going to uh, have a middle point. And it's in the middle point where Satan is completely cast out of heaven for the last time. He doesn't even have access to make any more accusations. And that's found in Revelation 12. It says, for the accuser of our brethren is cast out, which accused them before God day and night. See, right now, he's trying to get, get, get us in trouble. He's saying, see what you did, see what they said. But then all God has to say, paid in full, paid in full, paid in full, paid in full. And so, in fact, this is one of the reasons why I believe that the rapture is in the midpoint and not at the beginning of the seven years because it's at the midpoint that he's finally thrown out. And it says, rejoice, O heavens. And it starts off in Revelation. It says, now has come salvation. Amen. So we know what the midpoint, the midpoint is where there is war in heaven and Satan is finally uh, confined to the prison that earth is going to become. And it's at that point that I believe we go up. He comes down and gets locked up here and we, we get, we get to go. We get to go. So now how do we know when this seven year period begins? Well, we're going to look at that today. So at the end of the seven years, there's what's known as the oil and the wine harvest. Because there are three harvests in the year of Israel. There was the first harvest. Everybody know what the first harvest was? I, I told it. The barley. The barley. And when was barley? What feast was the barley harvested on? Passover. 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 Then what was the second grain harvest? 
wheat and what feast was that harvested at? Pentecost, Pentecost. And then the last harvest was the oil and the wine. And that was done at the Feast of Tabernacles. See, all of these things God modeled to show something. He was telling us something. Those three harvest festivals are special because God commanded that all of the people should attend Jerusalem if they were able to during those three harvests. That's why on the day of Pentecost, the Bible says there were Jews from all over. They had come to obey the command to be at Jerusalem on either Passover, Pentecost, or Feast of Tabernacles. And that's when the Holy Spirit was given because the, the, the Bible says there came a sound as of a mighty rushing wind. Amen. So we see that the, this seven-year period is broken up into two halves of, in the book of Revelation, 1260 days or 42 months each. And so the beginning of it, how do we know the beginning of it? Well, it's going to be a bit tricky, but the book of Daniel tells us that there is a covenant, a treaty that is signed at the beginning of the seven-year period. So that would be our clue, is that there's going to be some kind of covenant or signing of some kind of treaty at the beginning of the seven-year period. Now, we don't know exactly when that is going to be. I don't know what format it's going to be. There have been several peace treaties uh, that have been attempted to be signed between the Jews and the Arabs, right? The first one uh, that was signed, I believe, was in 1994. But that only was between Egypt and Israel. Then they expanded it a few years later to uh, Jordan and um, Turkey. And then just in the last four years, uh, during President Trump's uh, time in office, they came out with this one called the Abraham Accords. And in that accord, a couple more Arab countries joined in. The United Arab Emirates uh, normalized relations with Israel. But still, the major Arab country that hasn't is Saudi Arabia. So look out for the covenant to be signed. Look out for that because the Bible says that that's the beginning of the the seven-year period. There will also be several wars that are going to break out at the beginning. We're going to go through that. So the only explicit sign that marks the start of the seven-year period is the confirming of the covenant. And that's found in Daniel 9.27. Let's read it. And he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. It's translated week, but it means seven, a set of seven. So he's going to sign a seven-year treaty, whoever this person is, with some people. And most Bible scholars believe it will be the Antichrist signing some kind of treaty with Israel. And he shall cause, in the middle of the, of the seven-year period, he's going to break the treaty. After three and a half years, he's going to break the treaty. And then he shall cause the sacrifice and oblation, that means the offerings, to stop. And then for the overspreading of abominations, he shall make it desolate. Even until the consummation, that determined shall be poured upon the desolate. Now that sounds very mysterious, and it is. But Jesus makes a reference to that. He said, when you see what was written by Daniel the prophet stand in the holy place, then you know it's time to run. Of course, for those who don't have the Holy Spirit, there won't be no running. You can't run fast enough. You're going to have to be caught up. You're going to have to be raptured. 
So it's in the middle of this seven-year period that whoever it is who, after signing this covenant will break the covenant. Now, many believe and teach that the offerings he's talking about here is that Israel will start again to do temple sacrifices. And that may be so. I'm not so sure about that, but uh, it may be so. I think this has a much deeper and higher meaning. If you remember, I said in Revelation 12, it starts out, Revelation 12. Someone find Revelation 12, verse 1. I didn't put it in here. Someone could read that out real loud. Revelation 12, verse 1. When you find it. And there appeared a great wonder in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun. And the moon under her feet. That, that harkens back to Joseph's dream, doesn't it? Keep reading. And upon her head, a crown of 12 stars. So that kind of identifies a little bit that uh, it, figuratively the woman was the, either the church or Israel. Because Israel has 12 tribes. Let's read on. And she being with child cried. Travailing in birth. And pain to be delivered. And there appeared another wonder in heaven. A great red, red dragon. Well, we, we don't have to think too hard who that is. <laughs> we don't have to really have, you know, think too hard who that is. Okay. Seven heads and ten horns. And seven crowns upon his head. So, this red dragon is uh, manifesting, though, as a confederation of kingdoms. Confederation of kingdoms. Read on. And his tail drew the third part of the stars. Now, now that that part I won't get into tonight, to this morning, because that's too deep. We'll go on. And did cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman, which was ready to be delivered, to devour her child as soon as it was born. Now, this, this, this vision that John has has a multiple meaning. Of course, the first meaning is, of course, Israel gave birth to, figuratively, the Messiah. But Jesus is also our head. So we're the body. So Satan is still after us. The dragon wants to eat you up. Because it goes on to say that the, the man child was caught up to heaven. But he wanted to still go after her children. Read on. And she brought forth a man child. Who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. Of course that one isn't too difficult to identify either. But you know, we're also part of the body because the Bible says we shall reign and rule with him. Continue. And her child was caught up to God and her throne. And his throne. Read on. I want to get to the part where it says there's war in heaven. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she had a place prepared of God. Okay, that's the, that's the three and a half years. 
So that's another reason why I think it will be three and a half years of some persecution for the church before we get taken out of here. If you could jump down to uh, where it says there's war in heaven. Verse 7, here it is. So now, let me point out. So the woman now is hiding for three and a half years. So we're in the midpoint. And now there is war in heaven. And Michael and his angels fought, and the dragon and his angels fought, but he prevailed not. Prevailed not. And neither was there any more place found for him in heaven. Keep reading. And the, and the dragon was cast out, that old serpent, called the devil and Satan. The Bible makes it plain who the dragon is. Which deceiveth the whole world. He, and he was cast out into the whole earth and his angels were cast out. with. See, what's going to happen? The reason for the rapture is so that God can punish this earth. He's taking us out so that we are not appointed to suffer wrath. This earth is going to become a terrible place. Because it's going to be filled with fallen angels, released demons, and Satan himself. That's why the Bible says it's going to be a time such as never was, neither shall be ever after. But the the thing is, we get taken out because the next verse says what? Now, remember, the rapture always starts with what? A loud voice. A loud voice. Now, what does the loud voice say? Now has come salvation. Now has come salvation. So, for those who believe the rapture was before, that wouldn't make any sense for the angel in the middle now to be saying, now has come salvation. So, that is one of my key scriptures why I believe the rapture is in the midpoint. Because it's not until the the voice says, the loud voice says, now has come salvation. Continue reading. Now has come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. The accuser of our brethren is cast down who accused them before God day and night. Do you see what's going to happen? He's going to come down mad and angry. And I've used this example so many times, you know, it's like when the eviction, eviction notice is given, the people tear up the place. They start damaging the walls and tearing out everything because they know they're going to have to leave. The sheriff has, has put the tape on the house saying, you got to go. You, you, got, you got three more, three and a half years and then we're coming to take you out if you haven't gone. So the Bible says he's going to come down having great wrath. Great wrath. And he wants to tear up the earth. Amen. So we can see what's going to happen. I'm going to read here in a modern translation the prophecy from Daniel. It says the ruler will make a treaty with the people for a period of one set of seven. But after half this time, he will put an end to the sacrifices and offering. And as a climax to all his terrible deeds, he will set up a sacrilegious object that causes uh, desecration. What they're talking about is... 
This, this happened in between the two testaments when the Greeks took over Jerusalem and they tried to force the Jews to stop worshiping Jehovah. And so to desecrate the temple, they sacrificed an unclean animal, a pig, on the altar of the temple. So this is pointing to something like that happening. This time, though, I believe it will be a person, an abomination, a half man and half devil. The Antichrist. Jesus said when you see the abomination stand in the holy place, because what is the Antichrist going to do? He's going to present himself as God and demand worship. When you see the abomination stand in the holy place, that's when you, you've got to run, but it'd be too late for some people. Uh, he will set up a sacrilegious object that causes desecration until the fate decreed for this defiler is finally Poured out on him. See, the, the, the thing that's going to happen next, after the covenant is broken, there will also be a war with Israel. Psalms 83, verse 3. This is written, this was written hundreds and this was written uh, almost two thousand, almost three thousand years ago. I want you to read this, listen to this psalm, and you could see the, the parts in red could be taken from some of the Arab newspapers today. They have taken crafty counsel against thy people and consulted against thy hidden ones. They have said, come and let us cut them off. This is what Iran is saying today. We want to destroy the nation of Israel. We want to erase Israel from the face of the earth. The prophecy says this, come and let us cut them off from being a nation. And the name of Israel may be no more. Prophesied 3,000 years ago. Going to be fulfilled very shortly. For they have consulted together with one consent. They are confederate against thee. And it names the nations. The Bible isn't shy about telling you in detail. Not like some fake prophecies that you find. The Bible names the nations. Edom. The Ishmaelites of Moab. When you, if you were to look at the map, you'll see that those are the current day Arab nations. Ammon, Amalek, the Philistines. In fact, the Philistines... The city of the Philistines is exactly where right now Gaza, the Gaza Strip, where Hamas is, where they're raining down rockets right now. See, we're seeing scripture fulfilled before our eyes. This scripture was written 3,000 years before, before this event where uh, you, can, you can look on Google and you'll see that Iran has repeatedly said we want to erase Israel from the map. It says, come and let us cut them off from being a nation. And the name of Israel may be no more in remembrance. So the Bible predicts this. And then Jesus reiterated in Luke 21, 20, when he says, when he shall see Jerusalem, come past with armies, then know that the desolation thereof is nigh. It's going to happen. It's also in Ezekiel 38 where it names all the confederation of, of nations that will come up. The first war of this seven-year period is called the, the War of Gog and Magog. And it's in Ezekiel 38.1. And the word of the Lord came unto me saying, Son of man, set thy face against Gog, the land of Magog, the chief prince of Meshach and Tubal, and prophesy against him. And say... Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I am against thee, O Gog, the chief prince of Meshach and Tubal. I will turn thee back and put hooks in thy jaws, and I will bring thee forth and all thine army, horses and horsemen, all of them clothed with all sorts of armor, 
even a great company with bucklers and shields, all of them handling swords. Then it names the country. Persia is Iran. Ethiopia is, is, is Egypt and, 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 and uh, Sudan and Ethiopia, sorry, and current day Ethiopia and Libya, with them, all of them with shield and helmet. It gives the nations. And you find today those are the nations who are, are right now surrounding Israel. So we see that these things are going to happen. And you can see the modern day names of the countries that are there. Put is Libya, Kush is Sudan and Ethiopia, uh, Persia. Uh, Magog is, is all of the former states of the Russian Federation. And of course, Rush, the chief prince of Rush, is Russia itself. But the Bible has put this so many times in there for us to understand what's going to happen. And the pattern is found in the book of Joshua. And we're going to look at that today. So the model of this final war that starts the... the uh, this, the, the whole seven-year period is found in the book of Joshua. Let's look at the, the symbolic similarities. They were going to go into the promised land, right? They were told that they were going to possess the promising land, the promised land. But they were told that they were going to have to fight for it, right? We find in Revelation that there is a fight, there is war. Uh, there were seven uh, nations. There was a battle, of course, to take it. Two witnesses... Enter the land. Remember, Joshua sent two witnesses. In Revelation, we have the two witnesses. Right? So two witnesses enter the land. The forces try to kill the witnesses. In Revelation, they try to kill the witnesses, but they can't kill them. And they're hidden for three and a half days. So uh, Rahab hides them and they tell, she tells them to go into the mountains and hide for three and a half days. Can you start to see the parallels that God has given us here? To give them? They're hidden for approximately three days. And then there is a period of silence. Remember when they walk around Jericho the last time? They're told to keep silent. In, in the book of Revelation, there is a period of silence before the last trumpet. Then there's the blowing of the seven trumpets. God told them to blow seven trumpets in Revelation. There's the blowing of the seven trumpets. And then the people, the walls fall down. And what happens? At the blowing of the last trumpet, the people ascend. The Bible actually uses that word. It says they ascended the walls. So let's look a little bit deeper. So I'm going to give you the scriptures. Seven trumpets are found in Joshua chapter 6 verse 6. Seven trumpets are found in Revelation chapter 8 verse 2. The witnesses are sent in Joshua chapter 6 verse 6. The re- in Revelation the witnesses are in chapter 11 verse 3. The witnesses are not to be killed. Joshua 2:16. In Revelation they can't kill them either. Revelation 11.3. The time of the conquest of Jericho was seven days. The promised land seven years. It took them seven years to, to, to destroy all of the people, uh, to, to take the promised land. And of course, the time of Jacob's trouble is also seven years. The location of the trumpets were to go before the ark. In heaven, we see the ark again and it's before the throne. The conquering army were the children of Israel and the commander of the Lord's host. In Revelation, it's the saints and the commander of the Lord's host. That's in Revelation 9.14. The time of the invasion is the end of the seventh trumpet. Revelation, the end of the seventh trumpet is in Revelation 10.7. Are you seeing how God has already given us the map of what he's going to do? I think that's just awesome. If we, if, we, if we were to study and understand, we already have a good outlook of what is going to happen. 
course, there's silence before the trumpet. Then, uh, then the, what, what they were told to do? To shout. In Joshua 6, 17. There is silence. And then in Revelation uh, eleven fifteen, there are loud voices. There is a shout. So let's look at the model for the battle. Because this is going to tell us what's going to happen. Believe it or not. This is going to tell us what's going to happen. So Ephesians six twelve says we wrestle not against flesh and blood. But against what? Principalities and powers against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. So the battle for the land of Canaan lasted seven years. You remember Caleb, he says, give me my mountain. Give me my mountain. It was full of giants, but he didn't care. Give me my mountain. Forty years I've been promised this. I'm here to fight for my mountain. The battle for the kingdom in Revelation lasts seven years, the seven-year period. The seven, there are seven nations that Israel has to fight. And there, the beast has what? Seven heads. Seven heads. There are seven trumpets that are blown. There are seven trumpets that are blown in Revelation. The one who fights is the commander of the Lord's host. In, in Joshua, the one who fights in Revelation is the same commander of the Lord's host. Two spies who are hunted for three plus days. There are two witnesses who prophesy for three and a half years. There is silence then a shout. There is silence then a shout. There is a Gentile woman who is saved. Right? There was a Gentile woman that was saved out of Jericho. There is a Gentile church that is saved in the New Testament. The woman who is saved... Her name is Rahab. She marries a prince of Israel. His name is Salmon. The church is married to Christ. We attend the, 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 the marriage supper of the Lamb. Do you, do you see how God modeled this exactly? Rahab means a, 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 a wide space. In fact, it's the, it's the Hebrew root for Rehoboth. It means God has made room. So the, the Gentile woman that's saved and her family out of, out of Jericho, she marries the prince of the tribe of Judah, whose name is Salmon, who, whose son is Boaz, who is in the line and lineage of Jesus Christ. And then the bride of Christ, we get to attend the marriage supper when we're rescued out of this earth. Amen. We're going to look a little bit deeper. I know we've been looking deeper, but I'm, and I'm giving you so much information. I'm, I have to slow down. Slow down. So just before the battle, Joshua goes up this mountain and he's looking down at Jericho and he meets this stranger, Joshua 5, 14. And he asks him, Who are you? whose side are you on? He meets this, this, this personage who's got a sword drawn. And he says, I am the commander of the host of the Lord. Am I now come? We go to Revelation and we see the same character. And he was clothed with a vestra dipped in blood and his name is called the Word of God. Verse 14. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses clothed in fine linen. See, there used to be that old time song, Joshua fought the battle of Jericho. But it's not true. (laughs) Jesus fought the battle of Jericho. Because they didn't actually fight anything. All they did was march around and give a shout. That's what they did. They gave a praise and they blew the trumpets and the walls fell down. So what I'm trying to tell you is 
that what God is showing us in the book of Joshua is some, is some things that are going to be probably literally fulfilled. So the first battle was for this place called Jericho. Now Jericho still exists. It's, it's in fact one of the oldest cities that is known to, to mankind. And it's right on the border of the Jordan. It's the first major city as you cross over the Jordan into Israel. Because remember, they were on the other side and they could see Jericho. It's also the place where Elijah crossed back to go up the mountain and be, be uh, translated. It's the same. He crossed right by the Jericho, if you, if you read the story. And then Elisha came back the same way. And so we see that that's the similarity. Now the earthly commander's name who was going to fight the battle of Jericho. What's his name? You all know it? No, the earthly commander, I said. Joshua. What does Joshua mean? It's the same. It means he saves. It's funny that the earthly commander's name is the same as the heavenly commander's name. Earthly commander's name is Joshua or Yeshua, which is the same as Jesus. Then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. Then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Isn't that something? Isn't that something? But his name, the angel said to Mary, thou shalt call his name Yeshua, Jesus. It's the same name as Joshua. It means the same thing. Do you see how God set up this, this, the commander of the earthly commander who fought in Jericho's name was Yeshua, and the heavenly commander's name is also Yeshua. You see, this Bible was not put together as myths and fables, but God has meticulously put all of his information in there in such a way that when you have the revelation, you can see it. You have no doubt what is going to happen. It is going to come to pass. So he asked him, are you for us or for our enemies? And he says, nope, I'm here on my own assignment. You have to follow me. We don't, God doesn't follow us. We follow him. We follow his battle plan. We don't make up our own battle plan. As we may get in trouble. So he says, neither, he replied, but as the commander of the army of the Lord, have I now come. Now here's something interesting. Something interesting, because this is no ordinary angel. Because Joshua worships him. Joshua gets on the ground. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, What message does my Lord have for his servant? The commander of the Lord's army replied, Take off your sandals, for the place where you're standing is holy. Same thing as happened to Moses, right? When the I am spoke to him. This was no ordinary angel. This was, I believe, uh, Jesus in a theophany or an angelic form. And this was the beginning of the battle for the land of Canaan. You understand that, that God set this up this way. If you read the Old Testament carefully, Satan's plan, once he found out, once he found out where the, 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 the descendants of Abraham were going to stay, he decided, that's the place where I've got to fill it up. I've got to fill it up with Amorites, giants, all kinds of people. I'm going to take over that land. So God allowed it to happen. He set up a little trap. If you read the Old Testament carefully, God allowed the Jews, the 70, remember 70 of them went down into Egypt. And he let them stay there for 400 years so that the whole land of Canaan would be filled with all of the 
the, the terrible people that God wanted to destroy. And he was going to use Israel when they had become a nation to come back now and to destroy all of the enemies of God. That was God's whole plan. Because the people that were there were not just um, ordinary people. They were demonic giants. They were all kinds of things that I, I can't get into today, but we'll teach on that later. But God set this up. In fact, there's a scripture that says, for the sin of the Amorites has not yet come to a full full term. So he let them stay in Egypt to become a nation. It's funny, they went in as 70 and came out as 2 million. Because when you're persecuted, you can grow. It's, it's the trimming, it's the pruning that makes things grow. Do you know that? You want some fruit, you have to trim it. You have to fertilize, you have to dig it up. You have to put some pressure on it. Then it grows. Amen. So we see, so we see how God shaped this, this whole thing. He has this under control. He has this under control. Don't worry about it. God's plan is going to take the devil by surprise. Last week in the, in the, on the news, you heard that there was a, there was a leak of a very critical, they said, intelligence information about the battle plans, right? About the battle plans for um, the Ukraine war with Russia. Now, I'm just very suspicious <laughs> that I think that that's all a, a plant. <laughs> so you watch and see. See, the devil thinks he knows what's going to happen. He has no clue because God has got some surprises. God has got some surprises. And I've said this before, he told, he told John, don't let the, 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 the voices of the thunder, don't write that down, that's, that's between me and you. There were seven thunders that uttered their voice and God said, don't write, don't write that down. You see, the devil thinks he, he's planning one thing, but he's going to be out, out, out gunned again. He thought he had uh, Israel defeated because he had taken over the promised land. You understand, Abraham had walked down there and God had told him, everywhere you walk, I'm going to give it to you. So the devil says, okay then, now I know where to attack. Do you understand that he's going to come after your promised land? And it's up to us. It's us to us, us to, up to us because he has given us the power, the word of God, to, to go in there. We're going to have to say, like Joshua and Caleb, we are more than able to take the land. We are more than able to defeat Satan. We're more than conquerors through him who loved us. Amen. See, the day of battle is still coming. The day of battle is still coming. The Bible says that as he's going to go out as he fought in the day of battle, as he fought in Jericho, as he fought before, there is still a day of battle coming. But the good thing is I looked at the end of the book, I cheated. And we win. We win. There is some battles coming, but we win. He that endureth to the end, the same shall be saved. The same shall be saved. Now you see in all of this still the pattern of the sevens, right? The, the war to take back Canaan took seven years before they finally had peace. And the war of the seven years in Revelation is going to be seven years before finally Jesus comes and sets up his throne on earth. So we see the parallels. So the first thing that's going to happen, of course, is this covenant. Is this covenant. And we see that happening in the Old Testament too. There was a covenant. Joshua got tricked. And some people came. 
the Gibeonites, and they said, oh, we're not from Canaan. You can make a covenant with us. And he signed a covenant. Do you understand how the Bible is already predicting what's going to happen? He got tricked. He signed a covenant with these people who were actually in the land of Canaan. But they knew that God was with Joshua, so they, said they pretended that they weren't from Canaan so that he would make a covenant. So what we're looking for next is for a covenant or the fulfillment of a covenant. But I believe that when you see that, boy, you don't have much time. You may not be able to pack. You have to do like they did on the, on, the, on the night of leaving Egypt. They had to eat standing up. They had to have their bags packed and ready to go. Because there ain't going to be much warning. At midnight, they went out a cry. Behold, the bridegroom cometh. We are living in end times. We're living in end times. And your faith is going to be tested, Sister Johnny. The devil is going to see whether you mean this or not. But we will have to be like the three Hebrew boys. Whether you kill us or not doesn't matter. Because you're going to be tested. People are going to say, if you are a child of God, your faith isn't going to... We're not going to get into this without going through some tribulation. Jesus already told us, in this life, you shall have tribulation. But then he didn't stop there. He said, be of good cheer. Be of good cheer. Be of good cheer. Be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. So you can too. Even in the crossing, we see everything mapped out for us. The day they were going to cross over into into the promised land, God told Joshua, this is how you do it. Let the ark cross over first, representing God, Jesus, right? And they were to stay 2,000 plus cubits behind you see, you see the, the, the number again? And they were to watch because they had not gone that way before. That was the instructions. Everything has already been mapped out exactly. They were told the ark and the priest were going to go over first with the ark. And the company was to follow, but they were to leave a space of 2,000 cubits. 2,000 cubits behind. It's in the book of Joshua there. It's all there. All laid out. So that nothing that's going to happen is going to take us by surprise. All you're going to do is be able to check it off. Okay, that's now been fulfilled. That's been fulfilled. This has been fulfilled. In that same chapter of Ezekiel, it speaks about the fact that Israel would be a nation. And it says something that is quite amazing that was only fulfilled in 1948. It says that they were going to go back to the land and they would build uh, villages and towns with no walls. Now, in, 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 in ancient times, nobody ever built a city with no walls. Nobody ever built a city with no walls until the Wright brothers invented an airplane and made walls, you know, no use, useless for defending yourself. But in the book of Ezekiel, it already prophesies that when Israel would go back, it would be a time when the cities would be built with no walls. Jesus himself said, unless he shortened those days, that there, there would not even be any flesh left alive. We're living in perilous times. Perilous times are now. And this is why we have to make our calling and election sure. Calling and election sure. There's some, some signs that have already been fulfilled. In, in 2017, the, I told you last week, the, the constellation of Virgo, the woman with the sun, 
was literally fulfilled in the heavens. Literally fulfilled. People thought the rapture was going to be that year, but it wasn't yet. There were still a few things God wanted to do. The four blood moons that were started in 19, in 2014 that lined up each one of them on, on one of the feast days. That was fulfilled. The signs in the heavens are almost completed. There's only a few more. It said that on that day, the moon was going to turn into blood. Now, what I think it means is it's going to be looking very red. But we are on the last days. If you could stand with me. Deuteronomy 7, 1. When the Lord thy God shall bring thee into the land whither thou goest to possess it, and has cast out many nations before thee. And it names the, the seven nations that were cast out. The Hittites, they don't exist anymore. The Gergesites, they don't exist the Amorites, they don't exist. The Canaanites, they don't exist. The Perizzites, they don't exist. The Hivites don't exist. The, Z- the Jebusites don't exist. But Israel still exists. <laughs> you can see the parallel that God is showing us in the Old Testament. Revelation 13, when I stood upon the sand of the sea and saw a beast rise about having seven heads and ten horns, and upon his horns ten crowns, and upon his heads the name of blasphemy. See, we are living in the time when these things are going to be fulfilled. Amen. And we shall see very shortly some of the signs. It's interesting that our election cycle, the U.S. election cycle, um, from the time of the election to the date of independence is three and a half years. I don't know what that means, but I'll just throw that out there to you. Maybe we'll talk about it on a Tuesday night. Amen. But we are living in some perilous times. The voice is about to sound. The trumpet is about to sound because we're going to see some things start to happen. Uh, Most of what Jesus said, the earthquakes, the pestilences, all of that is already going. He said, but the end is not yet. These are just the beginning of sorrows. Now, why am I spending this whole month on this? Because I want to motivate us. To draw near to God. To let there be no separation. I, the worst thing you could hear from God is, depart from me. I never knew you. going to be a lot of people who go to church. And God is going to say, depart from me. I never knew you. Because that knowing means an intimacy. In the Bible when it says, Adam knew his wife. That's not, that's just not a hello. That's an intimacy. That means you sleep in the same bed. That means you're intimate. That you know that person. That's what God has called us to, that kind of intimacy with him. Otherwise, he's going to say to us, depart from me. I never knew you. But, 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 but didn't we do this? Didn't we pray? Didn't we come to church? Depart from me. I never knew you. Not in that sense. I didn't really know you. So we're living in perilous times. I'm going to close this Sunday Bible study. We have, I think, one more to go. Amen. And I'm enjoying it because it's, 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 it's motivating me as I see, as I reread the scriptures and see the fulfillment of how close we are to, to God taking this, this earth in his own hands from now on. Amen. Because Satan is going to come down here real mad. He's planning to tear up the place. Amen. But there is a date certain when he's going to be bound with a chain. He said, I saw a great angel coming down having a key and a chain. And he bound that old devil, the serpent, and locked him up. Amen. So we need to be ready. 
Because Jesus is coming. Hallelujah. If you could bow your hearts with me. Father, we thank you today for your greatness and for your love. Oh God, as we see the day approaching, help us, motivate us. Oh God, to know you. Oh God, that we may know you and the power of your salvation. That we will get serious, Lord. That we will pray. That we will seek your face. To be in your will, Lord. To tell others, oh God. Oh, hallelujah. To help us to be your disciples. To warn, oh God, others of what is coming. Lord, we believe you. We stand upon your word. We thank you, Lord God. For your loving care and your blessing. Lord, we ask you to be in our second service, Lord. Move in a mighty way. Let your anointing break every yoke. Lift up those who are down, Lord God. Dispel, oh God, all the the doubt and fear. Hallelujah. Lift up our spirits today as we worship you, as we thank you, and give you the praise and the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's give God a praise offering.